0: back to Underrated Podcast. My name is Q and I am your host for this wacky world of wonder. This week starts the first time that I will be covering two episodes of Warehouse 13 on the podcast. So welcome. Great time to jump in. A little housekeeping before we get started. Uh, remember that you can subscribe and review the podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Underrated at underrated.castos.com, Spotify, Pocket Cast, pretty much wherever you find your pod- your podcast is where you can find Underrated podcasts. So please hop on there, check it out, rate and review. I think it's only getting better every time uh, with practice and experience, like a fine wine, no vinegar here. So let's just go ahead and jump right into our first episode. Warehouse 13, episode number five, called Elements. It was directed by Ken Gerati. Girotti? Jurati? Girotti's a little murdery. Let's go with Jurati. Um, He has directed Orphan Black, Femme Nikita, Stargate One, Vikings. So he's been around the block a little bit. And it was written by Dana Baratta who is a writer and producer, worked on Dawson's Creek, Jessica Jones, Jack Kenny was also a writer. He also, the teleplay was written by Jack Kenney and David Simpkins from previous episodes. So the episode starts Uh we, our title card is Manhattan Island 400 years ago. There's some sort of American Indian ritual happening. The quote that we get really, that should stick in our minds is, when he comes, the elements be his strength and our hope. First of all. Ominous. Second of all. Sexist much? Why's it gotta be a he, huh? So then we jump to New York City present, and somebody wearing a buckskin robe, maybe, walks through the wall of some storage place and steals a sculpture. And that brings us to the bed and breakfast. Artie sends Pete and Micah after the sculpture, and Claudia and Joshua are fighting in the background. We find out that Claudia is writing a Warehouse 13 schematic, and she's also rewiring part of the electric grid that she undid when she was breaking into the warehouse. We also find out that the last time Artie was wrong was June, 1987, and we get our titles. Back at the New York auction house, the curator, docent, whomever, is stumped about the robbery. Pete and Micah have a little banter about how she is out of Pete's league. And Micah knows this because she has season tickets, which I think is the best line of the episode. But Micah still tries to wing woman for Pete and tries to talk him up a little bit and sends Pete with the attractive docent off to look at something. Pete goes ahead and interviews Gilbert Radburn who's some real estate millionaire, billionaire, who is interested in the sculpture that got stolen. Apparently, there's no time to get into it because Micah smells fudge. Maybe the first time that this has actually come up? Remember, it is a question on the already sanctioned list of questions to ask when an artifact might be involved. So back at the auction house, Micah has found a feather sticking out of the wall, and apparently... Pete, when Pete holds onto it, uh, the feather gives him kitty pride powers, so his arm starts going through the wall, but just to the elbow, so it's not the whole thing. And we know this because we saw the person in the buckskin robe jump through the wall before, but now the Warehouse 13 team is on it. Apparently the other interested party in the sculpture is Jeff Weaver, son of Alexander Weaver, a quote-unquote ravager of cultures. So that sounds great. Back at the warehouse, Claudia and Lena have a tension-filled conversation. Lena doing her thing, making some insights about why Claudia really wants Josh to move out. Claudia guffaws and denies all of Lena's motivations. But you start to see the relationship between these two characters. Back in New York... Pete and Micah go to Jeff Weaver's penthouse, and he has a sculpture. Pete and Micah think it's the stolen sculpture, but he's like, no, duh, this is the sculpture for fire. And the one that got stolen was obviously wind. You can start to see the elements portion of the episode here, in case you weren't catching on to that. He gives Micah some serious eye contact that I would say is inappropriate, really. And then we're introduced to LaSelle. Who is a guy that works for Radburn and Weaver. Pete was immediately suspicious of him, but Weaver knows that LaSalle works for Radburn. Back at the warehouse, Lena tells Artie that Claudia needs people, that she can't just, you know, be an Artie and be at the warehouse and be locked up in isolation. Claudia stops by to solve the chess dilemma that Artie had been struggling with, Meanwhile, Pete and Micah are transporting this sculpture uh, in a, an armored truck with Pete in the back, and a cloaked figure jumps in the truck and pushes Pete out, and then steals the truck. Apparently, Jeff Weaver owns the hospital that Pete is getting better in, and then Weaver proceeds to ask Micah to dinner. Pete tells Micah to go for it, and that she's pretty when she's smiling, and that she's frightening when she's not smiling. This would be more insulting if Pete wasn't giving you Big Brother vibes as all get out towards Micah. Then we find out that Josh is off to CERN. Really? I mean, we knew he had to go. He wasn't going to be a series regular, but just like a one-line throwaway? It's a bit quick. I think it's a bit sudden. I think it could have been handled a little better. But whatever. Josh is off to CERN. Then we find out about the Lenape tribe creation myth that fire equals the soul, water equals death, air equals breath, and rock equals solidity. Having all the elements equals control of the world, so that harkens back to the ritual that we saw at the beginning of the episode. In the hospital cafeteria, very romantic, Micah tries to figure out Weaver and his angle, what that's all about. It turns out that Radburn, the sleazy billionaire guy, used to work with Jeff Weaver's father. And Weaver's trying to kind of make up for the sins of his father. Back at the penthouse, Pete finds a hidden room full of Lenape artifacts. So that's not suspicious at all. Apparently the sculptor married a Lenape woman. And the sculptures equal the key to a cave. Some mystical cave isn't there always one? Then LaSalle gets caught breaking into Radburn's place. Apparently the sculptor, Burley was LaSalle's uncle and the bracelet that LaSalle is wearing gives the order in which the sculptures should be placed. Then Radburn puts on the buckskin robe and pushes LaSalle into the wall. So this is one of those plot points that never gets explained. I assume LaSalle is dead, but like how? Is he just stuck in that wall now forever? Is he crushed? Is he in some sort of pocket dimension? Like what exactly happened there? Is he in a mystical cave? I don't know. And it never circles back around to explain what happened. But for all intents and purposes, LaSelle is gone, and Radburn or did away with him. So then the bracelet says, Truth is in the Dawn. And that means that Radburn lines up. Yeah, Radburn lines up the sculptures and then kind of Indiana Jones his way to a map. So the sun comes up at dawn and shines through the sculptures in such a way as to produce a map. Meanwhile, Claudia is cleaning up at the warehouse. And Artie is trying to figure out where this cave would be located. And so Claudia just kind of nonchalantly walks past and, and is like, Hey, what about the magnetic lines on the map? And ding, 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 wouldn't you know it? The kid figures it out. So then we end up at the dig site that Radburn and his crew had been working at. And Radburn walks right through a green screen wall in front of the foreman. It... Doesn't look great. The CGI technology is not quite up to snuff on this one. Then he kind of walks around the cave, starts grabbing elements one by one that he's kind of um, captain-planeting himself and getting a power with each element. One of them, I think it's the rock. Ha! Not Dwayne Johnson. One of the elements causes an earthquake, which opens up the cave, so Pete and Micah don't have to. Kitty pride their way in. That's really convenient. Yada yada yada. Big climax. Tussling. Grappling. Pete ends up stabbing Radburn with an arrow, which causes an explosion, which kind of knocks everybody out and lets them take care of Radburn. It's really anticlimactic. It's one of my critiques of this episode, actually. So when everything is well and done, wrapped up, Claudia... We're back at the warehouse, Claudia jokes about how she picked up some pocket change in Las Vegas and how warehouse 13 was an actual challenge that, you know, she's going to miss this place, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Artie asks her if she's up for it, if she's up for sticking around. She responds, geezer, are you? Again, love their dynamic. And then Claudia sits down and they begin a new chess match. That brings us to our thinky thoughts for this first episode. 75% of this episode is pretty good. The plot is interesting. The artifact is kind of tricky with different moving parts to it. You got one kind of red herring business mogul, then you've got the actual evil business mogul invading native lands. It's pretty exciting stuff for a formulaic show. But then there are two things that really don't work for me. One, Micah genuinely treating and acting the cafeteria date, like, she would actually date Jeff Weaver. And I'm not just saying this because the actual love of her life is yet to show up, but, I mean, for a character like Micah, this is just, I think, out of character. If he's genuinely a suspect, I don't think Micah is going to treat it like an actual date. She's not going to actually consider going out with this guy. It's the reason Jeffries got fired on SBU. We all remember that season one plot, don't we? Then I think that the ending is weak. I already kind of mentioned it. Pete stabs Radburn with the arrow. It's pretty lame. I mean, they could have come up with something. Pete grabs one of the elements and his arm turns to rock or something. I mean, I know they used the CGI budget on that cave wall, but I think there was a better way to get out of this situation. You know, Micah learned a key puzzle piece of the Lenape, or even Pete, because Pete was the one looking at the artifacts in Weaver's room, Weaver's hidden room. So he finds out that the true meaning of the Lenape, you know, um, creation myth is that it's all too powerful for one person, just something, something else other than stabbing Radburn with an arrow. I'm not even a writer, and I think there's a better way around that. So there's not much of a B-plot back at the warehouse. Claudia, it's really just about Claudia establishing herself as part of the team, and we finally know that she's going to stick around. She truly becomes part of the crew, and a thousand Kleena fan fictions were launched. It's not my ship, but I understand why you would look at Lena and Claudia and say, yep, those two need to do some smooshing. I get it. Live your life. Write your fix. So I do just want to touch a little bit on the Lenape tribe, because it kind of gets a throwaway line, but this tribe really did exist. Um, they were known for selling the land, that, I forget who says it, Pete, maybe? So this refers to the Treaty of Easton. um, And this treaty specified that the American Indian nations would not fight on the side of the French against the British in the French and Indian War that we call it, or the Seven Years' War, I think, is what the Europeans call it. Anyways, so in return for not fighting um, on the side of the French, then Pennsylvania would be returned to the tribes in large blocks of land, which the Iroquois had ceded a few years before. And the British colonial governors promised to recognize Iroquois and other tribes' rights to their hunting grounds in the Ohio River Valley. And then they would refrain from establishing settlements west of the Allegheny Mountains after the conclusion of the war. This clause of the treaty contributed to the Crown's subsequent proclamation of 1763. Uh, through which it attempted to reserve territory west of the Appalachians for American Indians and prohibit European-American advancement into the area. In addition to this, the colonial governor, William Denny of Pennsylvania, agreed to negotiate directly with the Lenape Delaware uh, without the Iroquois intervention and marked the agreement by rekindling a quote-unquote council fire This conference concluded on October 26, 1758, and in November, Governor Denny announced to the Pennsylvania Assembly that, quote, a general peace was secured at Easton. By the treaty, the Lenape ceded all remaining claims to land within the province of New Jersey for the sum of 1000 Spanish dollars. They received payment immediately. Essentially, they gave up, or they sold, New Jersey land for Pennsylvania land, um... We all know how this story eventually ends with the British and the American and the American Indian tribes. But for now, at least at the end of 1758 and 1763, some sort of deal had been struck and had been upheld by both sides. That's something new and different for later years. And that ends episode 5. Alright, that brings us to episode six, burnout. Now this is gonna be a little different because I only typed up half the notes for this, so we are going to be flying by the seat of our pants. I have my handwritten notes, but they're not the best or the cleanest. Something new and different for everybody. So, episode six, burnout. It was written by Matthew Fetterman and Steven Skaya. Skaya? Names are hard. They are a duo and of writers and producers. They worked on Jericho, Human Target. Again, that keeps coming up. I really need to look into that. Apparently a lot of people from Human Target worked on Warehouse 13, or vice versa. Uh, they also worked on something called Blood and Treasure. So they are a team, basically, that they write and produce on pretty much every project that they work on. Uh, the episode was directed by Constantine Macris. Macris who has a bunch of credits, um, Directs, directed nine Warehouse 13 episodes, a bunch of Law & Order episodes, Criminal Minds, Orange is the New Black, so pretty familiar with the language of TV. I know I don't get into it a lot, but I do think it makes a difference whether a person has directed a lot of TV or movies or things like that. And maybe in other episodes I will talk more about directorial choices and things like that. But for now, I'm just kind of focusing on the on the content of the episode. Lucky for you. Again, I'm not a film student, so I just don't feel qualified to cover a lot of that stuff. Um, but if something really stands out, I'll try to point it out. Anyways, the episode starts in St. Louis, Missouri, where Pete and Micah are investigating a gas explosion at a police precinct. They talk about wanting a break from dusty old South Dakota, and apparently when Micah asked, Artie laughed for five minutes. Pete says that Micah does really look tired, because he's being helpful like that. Again, like in the last episode, this would be more insulting if Pete really just didn't have those big brother vibes. I don't have a brother, but I do have a sibling, and I get it. You're just trying to help. So at the precinct, the fire investigator says that the place is clear and they can go, you know, walk around. They walk past Chekhov's generators and head to the basement. They find a skeleton chained to a pipe behind a previously locked door. The ID on him says that he was a secret service agent, but he doesn't have, they don't have his name or anything. But then Pete finds a Tesla. Dun, dun, dun. Cue titles. At the warehouse, Artie is trying to figure out who this agent is, but the files are literal paper files. Claudia, because she is the young techie one, repurposed the spectrometer. If you'll remember, that shows the after images for five hours or so, and she has turned it into a three D projector, basically of photos, which comes in really handy this episode. Who to thunk? And it works. So it doesn't work right away, but then it does start working after some quote-unquote percussive maintenance, a.k.a. she hits it. That kind of maintenance works across all eras and times, which we will cover later. Back at the police station, Pete and Micah determine that a missing gang member has escaped in this explosion, Um, and by the time they track him down, he and his gang... Have been zapped or electrocuted. Pete and Michael want to talk to the head of the gang unit, but wouldn't you know it, he t- he took the day off at the warehouse. Claudia has pieced together a Marine tattoo on the Secret Service agent, which helps Artie narrow it down, and he fi- finds out that this agent is Jack Saccord. I, just rewatching this, this is why you rewatch shows. I had forgotten that we find out who Jack is this early on, because he will come up again in an episode that I clearly remember, but I did not recall that we meet him here in episode six of season one. Even if it's not Warehouse 13, I highly suggest going back and watching some of your favorite shows, because chances are you will have forgotten something. Jack was was recruited in 1955. He was last seen in Minneapolis. And then something that's really cool, Artie takes Claudia to the Personnel Quarters Archive, which is a collection of rooms inside the warehouse uh, that when a Warehouse 13 agent dies or disappears, their bed and breakfast room and personal effects are preserved in these kind of train car, shipping crate kind of ways. And you can cycle through them and pull up the one that you're looking for, which kind of morbid but also pretty cool. As a history major, I wish this existed in real life, because if you could just preserve someone's the way they lived, wow, would research be a lot easier? So in this room, Artie discovers that Jack was writing last to a Rebecca St. Clair in St. Louis, which sends Pete and Micah to visit this address, and Rebecca is still living there. Now, I do find that hard to believe, but whatever, that's fine. It works for the episode. And this, dear listeners, is where my typed notes end. So from here on out, we're not shooting without a script. We're just working with my handwritten notes. So if it's a little less smooth than normal, it's because I'm trying to read my own handwriting. And you'll find out it's not great. Rebecca St. Clair offers tea and cookies, which of course Pete accepts, and we get a lovely close-up of Joanne Kelly's face making one of the most Micah of all Micah faces. She has to be the straight man, and she kills it. Gets me every time. But Pete and Micah get called away to a third crime scene where witnesses said that a cop just walked up and started burning people. Only the... The head of the gang unit is the only person who's out and unaccounted for. So we figure that's who this was. Apparently, and the guy's name is Sergeant Clark. So they go to, Pete and Micah go to Sergeant Clark's apartment. And he is sparking, which I don't know that I'm familiar with all the things that the human body can do. But I'm pretty sure that's not one of them. So they chase him. There's a thing on his back. He jumps out a window. They think he died, but he disappeared, so they chase him down this alley, but then he really does die. Rebecca St. Clair had said something about electrocution before, and apparently she was also a Warehouse 13 agent. Artie does his Artie thing, does the research, and finds that there was this thing um, called the Spine of Saracen. He finds this... In an old book because old books are the best. (laughs) So Claudia scans it and he says you go girl and Claudia disapproves wholeheartedly. I have to agree with Claudia. As someone who tries to use the language of the youth, just don't. Apparently Jack was the one on the team who had vibes and Rebecca says that it was very annoying. She shares old file photos. So anyways, back to The Spine of Saracen. It's from the First Crusade. Um, The Saracens were fierce. And the book says that the spine requires a lifetime commitment. So back in this alley that um, they're kind of doing this alien thing where Pete and Micah are looking around. They hear scuttling and leaves and all that kind of stuff. A woman comes running out of one of the apartments or houses nearby. She has a gun So they're, you know, all freaking out at her, raise their gun and Tesla. This woman's ex-husband runs out with the spine on his back. The woman ends up shooting the ex-husband, yada, yada, yada. The spine detaches. Again, they're trying to figure out where it is. The spine attaches to Pete. And um, when Micah goes to, like, comfort him or console him or figure out what's going on, it actually uh, electrocutes her. And so she passes out and she only wakes up when the police come check out what was going on. This spine is like ancient PCP. So it makes you super strong and obviously gives you electricity powers, maybe? Micah and the team figure out that you go after the thing that you hate. What does Pete hate? We really don't get into that. They figure out that Pete will try to sacrifice himself. So I hope you all remember those generators that they walked past before at the police station because that's where Pete goes. Pete begs Micah to attach the generator um, cables to the spine to Pete, but it's really intense. Micah can't do it. They, she starts crying. Pete starts yelling out in pain. And finally, Rebecca walks up and attaches the generator to Pete. And then when the spine, it obviously overloads the spine. And then it goes scuttling off and Rebecca just smashes it. Micah then goes and does CPR on Pete and brings him back. Back at the warehouse, Pete walks in, joking about how dead he is. Um, Claudia eggs him on, saying like, oh, I'm surprised to see you alive. Again, we get that little sister, big brother kind of vibe bros from Claudia and Pete. Rebecca comes in, visits, she has the spine parts. Claudia introduces herself as Warehouse 13, next generation. And I don't know if they do it on purpose, but Claudia gets a lot of great lines. I enjoy that one. Rebecca explains how the warehouse hates to let go of anything. And as Artie And the team bring Rebecca to Jack's room to visit and look, you know, maybe grab a few mementos. They find an engagement ring in one of Jack's drawers. And Micah says that, you know, hey, looks like Jack really did choose you over the warehouse. You know, this last job just kind of got in the way. And Rebecca very ominously tells Micah to get out of Warehouse 13 That, like the spine, the warehouse will use up Micah, basically until there's nothing left. Lifetime commitment and all that. And on that note is where the episode ends, which brings us to our thinky thoughts of 1-6. This episode, we've had artifacts try to kill agents, and this will come up again. You're not a warehouse agent until an artifact tries to kill you. But this is, I think, maybe the first time where it's been, where we've seen an agent be sacrificial. And luckily, this is one of the reasons that I didn't particularly enjoy David Tennant as the Doctor. Before you at me, I liked him just fine. He was good. He's just not my favorite. Um, (laughs) I just thought that the storylines they gave him, was like okay and now the doctor sacrifices himself and sacrifices himself and threatens to sacrifice himself so luckily we don't see that all too often here at the warehouse but this is the first time that we do see it and i think honestly this moment works a lot better because it's truly a character moment again for pete we see that he's going to make the big play, the self-sacrificial moment, um, you know, instead of going after people, he's going to try and remove himself from the situation. The only problem is, it's like that that spine. The spine is like that, that part on your back between your shoulder blades that you can't scratch when it itches. So he can't do it himself, and so he asks Micah to do it. And here, again, when you threaten people that Micah loves, I'll say loves, she kind of falls apart, right? Um, She can't make the play. So Rebecca has to step up and do it. And then Micah, you know, can swoop in and do CPR. That's not a problem. But I think it's just a really strong, powerful character moment for Pete and Micah. We see their connection. And we also see, you know, Micah's failings. Now, will she take this and be better? We'll just have to wait and find out whether she can, you know, work on this. And I hate to use this phrase, but work towards the greater good. I don't know. We'll see. Other than that, I mean, again, meeting Jack and Rebecca this early just blew my mind because I know we see them later on, spoiler alert, but I totally forgot that they were here in this episode. I think we get to see Claudia do flex some of her techie muscles and contribute more than just snarky comments, although the snarky comments are great, but she actually contributes to the case this week, so that's fun to see. And yeah, I mean, it's a scary artifact, you know. It kind of shifts and moves, and it's it's a good one. Um, I'm honestly glad that I... Started with Warehouse 13 because it was just fun to um, revisit this storyline that I had forgotten about, basically. So that brings us to Artifact of the Week. The Artifact this week is actually the Warehouse. As you know, this is the 13th Warehouse. What you might not know is that throughout history, the Warehouse has not had a permanent location. It moves at the whim of the regents, who we have not met yet, but we will. Uh, It moves through the use of Hiram Abif's tools to the geographical location of whichever empire or power seems to be leading the world at that time. Because the United States has been the power center of the world for the last hundred years, the warehouse has been located in North America. At various times in the past, the warehouse has been located in England, Russia, Asia, Mesopotamia, Egypt, and Rome. One example of a past warehouse would be the Library of Alexandria. Alexandria. R.I.P. I I cry for the loss of that library. Artie believes that Warehouse 13 was built in 1898 and that the first warehouse actually burned down due to a lack of knowledge on how to quote-unquote store stuff. While it may be true that an artifact or more may have caused the destruction of the first Warehouse 13, the 13th iteration of the warehouse first appeared on American soil in 1914. The fire that destroyed the original Warehouse 13 also killed the caretaker. The previous caretaker's sister, one Irene Frederick, took her place from then on. Although little is known about previous warehouses, Mrs. Frederick implies that all of the previous warehouses were burned to ashes. Spoiler alert, this is revealed to be untrue when Warehouse 2 reactivates. Warehouse 2 is actually buried, literally, by its agents to prevent Julius Caesar from obtaining its artifacts when he invaded Egypt. The current choice of location for the warehouse may have been at least in part an attempt to contain an artifact rather than an effort to maintain the anonymity of its location. The side of a mountain in dusty South Dakota? Pretty good location to contain something. And that is just a little bit about the warehouse lore. As we get into it and we discover more and more about the warehouse and its different annexes and Mrs. Frederick's connection to it, these things will come up again. One of the things that I love about this show is that it has a commitment to this mystery of the warehouse itself and how the agents are just kind of... I. I love the agents that we're with, I don't want to call them replaceable, but you get this sense that the warehouse is the thing that will remain, and the agents and the caretaker are the turnover, are the gears in the machine, and I just just love that the warehouse has its own history and lore and past and mystery that we get to uncover slowly but surely. That is the end of my episode of these two episodes. So I hope that it gave you a little more to listen to, a little more meat on the bones, and it will let us get through Warehouse 13 a little faster. Remember that you can follow me on Facebook at Underrated Podcast and Twitter at Under underscore Rated Pod. Um, Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Let me know. You can email me at info.underrated at gmail.com. Let me know what your thinking thoughts are. If you have an artifact that you want me to cover, let me know. I would love to do that as well. Other than that, I will catch you two weeks from now. All right. Peace, nerds.